This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor David Kogel. All right, let's get back to John chapter 12. We've been in chapter 12 for a little while. We started off uh, there with, uh, after Jesus, uh, of course, raised Lazarus from the dead. We also have hit where Mary anointed his feet. And uh, after all of these things, and we talked about it last time, I don't know if you remember how important that raising Lazarus from the dead, that was such a remarkable thing that it made such an impression on people. They kept bringing that up. They kept talking about that. And I believe that many really came to believe in Christ after he did something like that, even though he had done other miracles. Uh, so uh, I want to back up just a little bit to verse number 23 of chapter 12. And if you remember, this is very close to the Passover time. We also talked about the what we call Palm Sunday, Jesus uh, riding through there on the donkey, all of that and the people hollering and excited uh, about Jesus being a king. But what's going to happen as Jesus talks about his death more, that, that throws them a curve because they're thinking, well, wait a minute, how are you going to be an everlasting king and now you're telling us you're going to die? So those things uh, didn't go together with them. So Jesus began to explain it really in, in verse 23 on there. Jesus answered them in saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And you know, we talked about how he often said the hour. The hour's come. It didn't mean the 60 minute hour. It mean that time frame. This, this right now is coming up. We're in the, we're in the, uh, in the move, we're getting ready for it to happen. Before he had been saying, my hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet come. Now the hour is come. So then he explains it this way in a farmer's term. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So he's, he's talking about him, talking about his life. Except he die on a cross, be buried, then much fruit couldn't happen, but it will happen because of that. He that loveth his life shall lose it. In verse 25, he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. So he's explaining to them, what's more important? That you turn your life over to me, that you accept me, that you lay down, that, that, that even the Son of Man, the Son of God, he lay down his life. This is the most important thing that he's going to do for them. Verse 26, if any man serve me, let him follow me where I am. There shall also my servant be, and if any man serve me, him will my father honor. So he's, he's talking to this crowd that's saying, some of them saying, I believe in you. Um, I believe in your miracles. I believe in what you're, you're, you're saying sometimes. But he's saying, listen, if you really believe in me, if you're, if you're saying without a shadow of a doubt, I know that you're the Son of God. I know that you are Christ. I, I, you know, then, then you'll follow me. You'll follow me completely, not just for the miracles that I'm doing. 
So <clears throat> then verse 27, now is my soul uh, troubled. And this is where I really want to pick up here. Uh, now is my soul troubled. Now Jesus is saying these words, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this hour came I, uh, came, came I unto this hour. So as we look at these verses, and we can link verse 28 to it, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So you remember uh, just a little while, I think in the last lesson that I taught, Jesus had been there and been told that the Greeks were interested in a interview with him, a meeting with him. They wanted to know more about him. They were believers, but they wanted to know more about Christ. So Jesus had just said, the hour has come. The time has come. It's getting near. What, what has come? He's going to be crucified. He's going to die for man's sin. But the very next thing that he says here is that his soul is troubled. So I thought about that. You know, I began to study that and see, it's, why, is he, why does Jesus say that? Why did he say my soul is troubled? It's not because he's going to die. He's not saying that. Jesus already knew that he was going to die for our sins. He knew he was going to be raised up again after death on the third day. In fact, if you remember, turn back to chapter 10 for just a minute. When we cover that, I want to see these verses again, just to prove to you exactly what Jesus knew and what he was saying. John chapter 10, look at verse number 17. Therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No man taketh it from me. Hey, look at that, verse 18. But I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my father. So his soul was not troubled because he, he was going to die. He was going to be crucified. He knew that he would die. He knew he came to die. And he also knew he had the power, just like that verse said, to pick it up again. So <clears throat> why then is his soul troubled? Why is he troubled? And it's troubled because of what's going to take place on the cross. You see, Jesus isn't afraid of dying. He's willing to lay down his life. He knows that he's going to be raised up again. He has the power to do that. He's already demonstrated that by Lazarus. He raised Lazarus from the dead. So death has no hold on him, but his soul is not troubled by the death he's going to die. His soul is troubled because before death comes, he is going to have to endure the wrath of God. God can't look upon sin. God will have to turn his back upon his son. And that's what troubles him. That's what really bothers him. I can imagine that. And that is why the Bible tells us that a person that has no fear of God, that has no fear of Christ or rejects Jesus Christ, they are a fool because the wrath of God is real. 
And it will happen to people that have rejected his son. So you can imagine if the son of God is troubled in his soul by the prospect of enduring the wrath of God on the cross, then you and I, we really have no idea what hell could really be like. I mean, I think it's worse than we even can think and horrible than we can think. And, and I think that as Christians, that should remain in our minds and, and get us to the point that we don't want to see anyone die and go to hell. We don't want to see anyone have to suffer the wrath of God. So it also should cause us to rejoice and, and be thankful and be glad that we are children of God and we won't have to see or endure that wrath of God. So, uh, you know, when I read stuff, things like that, how the Lord Jesus was troubled himself, then I think that we should be moved to action as well. It should move, move us to say, hey, I don't want to see people have to deal with the wrath of God. I want to see them escape hell. And so through our, our actions in life, through our words in life, and through our life itself, we, what we show people is how they, Jesus has paid it all for them and he can save them. So, redeemed in Christ. Uh, look at verse number 29. Back at chapter 12 again. The people therefore that stood by heard it. What did they hear? They heard that voice. In verse 28, that voice that came from heaven and said, it thundered. Others said, an angel spake to him. So I think they heard it, but they didn't hear it like Jesus heard it. They didn't understand the words that had come from heaven. They heard that sound. They heard that noise. They knew something had taken place, and uh, yet they thought maybe it thundered. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. So Jesus begins to explain the, the sound that they heard. Yeah, y'all heard a thunder sound, and that was the voice of, of, of my father. But it wasn't for me. It's for you. It's for you to understand. So verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world now shall the prince of this world be cast out. So when Jesus explained that voice, and I like what he did, he begins to turn to uh, the ruler of this world. You see, right now, we realize the Bible says that Satan's a prince of the power of the air. But he has, uh, before the cross, he, he kind of was the ruler of this world. But after the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, the world was plunged into darkness. People were blinded by the truth. Their minds were darkened by sin. And really, the only people, God's covenant people had that truth. They knew the truth. But now, after this death of Christ here, the ruler of the world, who had kept in, who kept men in darkness and blinded their eyes, he's going to be cast out. And he's not done away with. He's still influencing people today. 
But there became a change. And when Jesus said, it is finished, because now the gospel was going to go forth, people were going to be receptive to it, people were going to receive it, thousands would be saved. And so uh, there was a difference that was really taking place here. So when he says that this voice, uh, verse 31, now is the judgment of this world, now shall the prince of the world be cast out. So uh, we realize after death, after burial, after resurrection, what did Jesus, remember what he had told the disciples? You go to the upper room and you wait for the promise. And they went there and they prayed and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Why? To give them power to do what? Go into all the world and teach and preach the gospel. You see, that was that opportunity after Jesus had died. And so they would be able to go out and preach the gospel. And speaking the results of his death, there would be definitely effects on people because of that. So you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said that he was going to build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So you see, hell was being pushed back when Jesus came out of that grave and when Jesus died on the cross for us. Things were being changed. In other words, Satan would get his head crushed, his authority would be destroyed, his power would be limited, it's kind of like you put a dog on a leash. Satan would be held on a leash. He could only do so much. And the gospel would go forth. And it would reach people. Peter would preach and thousands would be saved. You read over and over again, and the, the Lord added to his church daily such as should be saved. All those things were happening because there had been a difference and Satan's effect on people worldwide. The gospel would have be able to have an effect on people as well. So verse 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. So Jesus is saying, listen, when you lift me up, then people will be drawn to him. He would bring all kinds of people to salvation. It wasn't going to be just the Jews anymore. Danny's been teaching about that. The vision that they had and that they, God had to turn their minds around and say, listen, you're going to be preaching to all kinds of people. You're going to be reaching all kinds. It's not going to be just the Jews anymore. So what a wonderful thing had taken place here. Every tongue, every nationality, every walk of life, it didn't matter. They would have an opportunity to be saved. That's why even today we have no right to open up our church buildings and say only certain people can come in here and only certain people can be saved. That's not the way it is. Everyone that walks in these doors is a soul and if they're lost, it doesn't matter what color they are, what they look like, how rich or how poor, it doesn't matter. They still need Christ if they're not saved and they can be saved. So, that's the wonderful thing about it. Verse 33, this he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We heard, we have heard out of the law 
that Christ abideth forever. How sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? <laughs> you remember what I said earlier? They, they're saying, wait a minute, we heard that Christ is going to live forever. Now you're saying you're going to die on the cross. You're going to die. You're going to be lifted up. So <clears throat> these people that are listening to him, they're kind of getting it, part of it. They're getting a little bit of it. They're thinking about what the Old Testament says about Christ reigning forever and living forever. And so this is how they, they're trying to figure out this thing about him saying he's going to be lifted up. So how is it that you're going to down a cross, they're saying to him. They understood what he's saying, yet remaining forever. So both things didn't balance out in their mind. And so Jesus is really trying to get them back on the right track again. And he says in verse 35, Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whether he goeth. So Jesus is saying, listen, you have the light right now. You have me. You have me right here now. And you need to realize who I am. You need to accept me for who I am and walk in the light. John is, has said that over and over again about the light. But he also says, in contrast, people that walk in the darkness, they stumble. They don't know where they're going. I've used that illustration before. You come inside of this sanctuary with all the lights off. Believe me, it is very dark. And I don't care how familiar I am with where the pews are at, where the platform is at. If I don't watch out, I'm going to stumble into something because I can't see. I can't see it. Yeah, I may be thinking in my mind, hey, I know where it's at, but it could be a few more steps closer than what I'm, I'm realizing. And so Jesus is saying the same thing. These people who think they can walk right and live right, just by what they know, it's not going to work. They're not. They're going to fall. They're not even going to know where they're going. Verse 36, While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. This things spake Jesus and departed and hid himself from them. So he does the one thing that we wouldn't think he would do. And that's the latter part of this verse number 36. He's been giving them people these teachings, teaching them something, telling them something very important. In fact, he's getting close here to the very last message that he's really going to be speaking to these people here because he's going to the cross. And yet, what does he do? He departed all of a sudden. I'm sure they had a lot more questions. I'm sure they had a lot more things they want to talk about and listen to and ask him. But Jesus departed and he hid himself from them. He, he got out of the way and they couldn't even find exactly where he was at. Now, why did Jesus do that? Verse 37 tells us, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. 
So you, could, you think of the miracles that we have recorded in the Bible, I'm sure there were many more that Jesus did. And yet, it's sad to say, many of them yet didn't believe on him. They still didn't believe him. So I think Jesus just came to that point and said, you know what? I'm finished right now, right here. And I'm going to leave this area and I'm going to go. So Jesus had done many signs, many miracles, many amazing things, and they wouldn't believe. They did not believe. How does that happen? How can people who have seen the miracles that Jesus has done, heard the teachings and the preaching and the stories that he told, hear that they hear him telling people, I'm going to go to the cross and die for your sins. I'm going to rise from the grave. I'm going to ascend to heaven. And yet they still did not believe. I think, you know, as I think about that, people reject him because they understand this, that if he is the way, the truth, and the life, if he's the only real way of salvation, you know what? That means people have to make a decision. And many times when you're talking to people about Jesus today, they're listening to your words. They may even read them out your Bible as you show them the scriptures. And you know what they're thinking in the back of their mind? I've got to make a decision when he finishes talking to me. I'm going to have to make a decision here. You know, life is full of decisions. But this is the most important decision you'll ever have to make. And so it would mean that I'm saying, hey, hell is a real place. Heaven is a real place. And I've got to decide where I want to spend eternity. I've got to decide if I'm going to trust Jesus and ask him to forgive me of my sins. So John tells us at the very beginning of his gospel, he said, men love darkness rather than light. They don't want to come to the light. Why not? Because it's going to realize they got to deal with their sin. Their sins got to be dealt with. The light shows us that we're living in sin. The light shows us we need Jesus. The light shows us that we have to have forgiveness. So I think that many times today we're, we still run into the same thing that we, these people were doing back here as well. Verse 38, that the saying of Elias the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. The rejection of Christ has been prophesied way back here in Isaiah. Isn't that just amazing? For Isaiah to say it all those years ago that these people down here are going to reject Jesus. And they're, going to, they're not going to believe in him. And that's exactly what they did. So the rejection, what they heard, they rejected what they saw. They reject the prophetic message that came to them. And every detail came true. So 
When you get down a little bit further here, John doesn't let the let the who are people who say they are believers off the hook either. Look at verse number 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You know, I've talked about this before. And many times you'll run across it in the Bible when you read so-and-so believed on Christ. This one believed on Christ. This one believed in Christ. Now, just so because someone believed in him doesn't mean that they are at the point they confess him. You see, they could see Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead and say, oh my goodness, I believe that man's got power. I believe he that's something different about him. But that doesn't necessarily, they're saying, they're over there falling down at his feet saying, my Lord and my God. You see, there, there's, a, there's a difference there. So that's why when we get to these Pharisees here and some of these that are in the area here, yes, they believed him, but they didn't confess him. Why? Scared of what someone else would say. You ever tried to witness to someone and they, they were, you thought they were going to give their heart to Christ, but yet they, they begin to think, well, I don't know what my family's going to say if I get saved. I don't know what my friends are going to do. You know, they probably, they don't want to be around me no more after I get saved. I know that because you're telling me my life is going to be changed and old things have passed away and all things have become new. I mean, there's going to be a difference in me and they ain't going to want to hang around me. And if that influences them enough, then they'll just get to that point where they're listening to your words, but they're not confessing Christ. But when you're genuinely saved, you know things do change. Your walk change, your talk change, and people notice it around you. And your so-called friends many times, even though you may want to win them to Christ and you try, they got to make a decision and many of them will walk away. You ain't, you ain't no fun no more. You're not doing what we're doing. You become a fanatic. So these, these, uh, that had, uh, come to the point where they kind of, uh, believed, but yet didn't confess him. And we see the, uh, the real reason why that took place. It's frustrating. It's sad. And we see the same thing in our day. Uh, we know genuinely as children of God that God came in the flesh and that he is the only way, the truth, and the life. And when you have to, when you tell people that Jesus is the only way, well, a lot of people, they, they're tuning you out right there. I don't believe that. I believe there's other ways we can get there besides that. I believe there's other things we can do. And so, uh, we understand, many times people understand that Jesus is a Savior, but he's not their Lord. And that's what, what John is talking about, and that's what he's dealing with, these folks here. They are afraid. They're afraid of what the world may say. Look at verse 43. They love the praises of men more than the praises of God. Isn't that sad? We get to the point where many people love the praises of this world more than they would hearing Jesus say, well done, that good and faithful servant. 
That's the best praise we could ever hear. And yet many of these people will not take a stand. They'd, they'd rather stand with their friends. They'd rather stand with those around them and stay in the situation that they're in. Instead, they may, instead of facing, listen, it's a fact. The Bible doesn't paint a picture to us and say that once we get saved that everything's going to be lovely and everything's going to go our way. It doesn't say that everything, everybody in our family is going to stay healthy. It doesn't say that every, all of our prayers will be answered automatically right away. At our, at, he's at our beck and call. It doesn't say any of that. In fact, it says we as Christians take up the cross and follow him. And it also says that if we live godly in Christ, we will suffer persecution. You know, Dan has been talking about these these apostles and how they died. And some of them made the statement, let's go. We'll die with Christ. They, they, they were ready for it. And we've got to realize we have to face persecution. If we're going to live for Christ, people are not going to walk around patting us on the back. But we'll suffer persecution because of that. So Jesus and John is definitely letting people know exactly what's going to take place. Now look at what Jesus cries here in verse 44. He cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. Now we see in verse 45, He that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. What is Jesus saying? If you see me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. We, we've seen all these scriptures that have, have tied into that same thought there. So Jesus addressing these fears that these people have of him, he says, listen, it's just not about believing in a historical person who's standing in front of you, but it's about believing in God. It's, it's, he says, I've been sent by God the Father, and I'm here to pull you out of spiritual darkness. It's all about the authority that I have. It's all about the eternal life that I can give you. I want you to look at a statement here that Jesus says. Look, turn over to Luke chapter 12, just a minute. Turn back to Luke chapter 12. And I like these verses because it really doesn't pull any point, uh, punches about things. Luke chapter 12. Speaking of, remember now, we're talking about how the earth, how the people around us see us, how we're going to be affected by their opinions, how we're going to let them influence us. But look at Luke chapter 12 and verse number 4. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. So you see the picture that he paints? He's saying, listen, you're going to be afraid of this man over here that's going to talk about you, that's going to spread rumors about you, that's going to tell other people the kind of fanatic here, you, you're going to worry about that, even if they threaten to kill you, kill that body? He said, that's not what you should be fearing. 
He said, because after they kill you, I can hear this message ringing in some of these apostles' ears. After they kill you, that's all they can do. I mean, that's, that's, that's all they can do. He said, that's when I'm going to take over and give you life eternal and a home in heaven. But he said, you better fear me because I can also take that person that they killed the body and they didn't live for me because they were scared of what someone else was saying about them. But he said, then I will take you, take your soul, and be cast it into hell. So that's something to fear there. So that's really what Jesus is trying to get across to him there. Let's go back to John 12. And I meant to, I really meant to uh, show you a couple other verses in Luke there. I'll just read them uh, for you there so keep you from having to flip back and forth. But verse number 8 says, Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess him before the angels in heaven. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels in heaven. So once again, after the soul is killed here on earth, or the body is killed here on earth, and the soul's in heaven, guess what? The Lord steps up for the Christian and tells all those angels, hey, this one right here is mine. This is a child of God because they accepted me and lived for me on that earth. But he'll also say, do you see this one over here? They were scared of what men may thought of them. And I deny them. I don't even know them. They're not a child of mine. So it's a, it's a great truth that we need to remember and think about. Now back to verse 46 of chapter 12. Uh, yeah, chapter 12 of John. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in the dark. So once again, he's continuing that thought about the light. John uh, has it here over and over again, Jesus' words saying that. And then verse number 47, If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. You know, even, even though those people that didn't believe in Jesus, he, he didn't judge them right there. He came to save them. Gave them every opportunity. He's going to give them every opportunity. He, he didn't get to the cross and say, Well, you know what? That crowd back there that saw my miracles and denied me and didn't want to believe in me. No, I'm not dying for you. He didn't do that. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That what? Whosoever. So that included everyone that would trust in Christ as well. Verse 49, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment that I should say what I should say and what I should speak. So, you know, I'm sure there were people in that day that thought that Jesus was just coming up with his own words, his own thoughts. But right here, he says, I came to speak what my Father wanted me to say. I came to do what my Father wanted me to do. And he said in verse 50, and I know that his commandment is life everlasting. And whatsoever I speak thereof, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. So 
after he deals with them, he talks to them about they should never be ashamed of his words, of him. Never be ashamed of the one who bore our sins on the cross. We should, it's amazing today. Here, Christ laid down his life and gave us an opportunity to have life eternal. Why in the world would we be so fearful to tell somebody about that? Why, why would we even question the opportunity to tell somebody, hey, you can be saved. You can have everlasting life. And, you know, I know it's for me, for you as well, I know there are, there are so many missed opportunities I look back on that I could have said something about Jesus and, and didn't do it. And I just have to stand back and say, Lord, please forgive me of that. And I hope someone else has that opportunity and I hope they listen and I hope they can, can find you as a savior. But, uh, today, I think it's because many times we get our eyes on the wind and the wave and storms around us. Maybe we get caught up in the things of this world and it chokes out the word of God that we should spread. You know, it's so easy with so much going on in our minds today that we had our thoughts on so many other things other than God's word and souls that are lost. We, we do. It's easy to get, get these thoughts choked out and all of a sudden we're thinking about something else. You think about it. I, I have no problem striking up a conversation to someone about fishing. I love to fish. I have no problem talking about woodworking. I love to do that. I have no problem discussing the weather. I have no problem talking about automobiles. But then after I've finished doing all that, what did that do? If that person was lost, I didn't do anything for their soul. We just made conversation. But when we think back to what Jesus has tried to tell these people, we should remember that in our, in our life as well. Hey, the most important thing here is that Christ came and he died for us. And if we have the opportunity to tell someone else, don't let it pass us by. I mean, I, I, I know that like even in the pastoral situation, he takes every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time, time to come together. That's an opportunity. Someone could walk through these doors this morning. We have no idea what they're going through. We have no idea what's in their life. We, this could be, they could be ready to commit suicide out today. We don't know. But they're here. If they come in, they have an opportunity to be saved. And that's the most important thing. Well, we'll not get into chapter 13 yet. We're getting ready to get to the, uh, to the Last Supper here. Jesus is going to wash the disciples' feet, uh, feet and we are getting so much closer to the cross as we get, get along here in these uh, chapters coming up. So we're looking forward to that. Amen. You listen to Pastor David Kogel. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.